And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called to them, them to him, and he saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Did you know that America's moms are domestic terrorists? Yes, it's true. I know that because many ambitious bureaucrats who run our government tell me it is true. Yes, there have been wild, roving bands of America's moms all over the country going to school board meetings. And they are not happy with what is being taught in their children's schools. From the critical race theory to the inappropriate for children uh, books to the banning of classic texts and authors, you know, like Huckleberry Finn and whatnot. Well, and they aren't staying quiet about it anymore. This has become such a feature of American public life that no less than the Attorney General of the United States is involved. He has instructed the FBI to look into these threats against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff. There isn't much that will chill speech faster than using the words mom, FBI, and domestic terrorist in the same sentence. There are lots of other examples of government overreach, uh, I mean, assuming that you agree with me that sicking the FBI on America's moms would be an example of overreach, there are certain medical questions these days, medical mandates that are working their way through the public or private sector. Are we really at a place where we are forcing people to get a vaccine or maybe lose your job? Is that something we're comfortable with? For years, our federal government has spent more money 
than it has. That's not debatable. That's just a fact. And that kind of reckless spending devalues our currency. It creates inflation, which is a tax on the poor, something the church should be concerned about. And it creates uncertainty in the future. You know, what we're going for as a society here, in case you wondered, is stability, not uncertainty. And if interest rates ever go up, and there is a cost to them being perpetually and artificially low, essentially at zero, well, then the interest on our national debt will skyrocket. And the only way to pay it then will be to print more money, which causes more inflation, that tax on the poor we just mentioned, or to dramatically raise taxes. Today, every single American, every single American, all 350 million or so, including tiny little babies who can't even walk yet, and old folks who are on fixed incomes, if they were to pay off our national debt, each one would have to pay $87,000. That's each person. In my household, that would be $348,000. That's after all the taxes we already pay. That is unsustainable. It is immoral. And it doesn't even include all the entitlement programs that aren't even funded. Now, if the corruption isn't bad enough, the sheer incompetence of it all is hard to take. We're now being prepared for shortages of food and Christmas presents. Better order them early, you say. Six-week lag time. Yes, children, six-week lag time on your Christmas presents this year. Maybe you'll get it in February. Who knows? We can't even get cargo ships into port. I mean, the people that run this country, you know, they seem desperate for our votes. They raised millions of dollars. They told us they were going to solve all of our problems. So why isn't everything going great like they promised they would do for us? Well, what we have is a failure of leadership. And, uh, you know, as Christianity becomes a hated or ignored way of life, I hate to tell you, there's no reason to believe that our leadership will get any better. For Christianity actually teaches what true and good and just leadership looks like. But we are living among ambitious Gentiles who only care about power. The gospel text begins with two of Jesus' disciples clamoring for power. Right? They say to Jesus, Hey, uh, hey, would you do something for us? And Jesus says, What would thou havest me do for you? Well, we want to sit at your right hand and your left hand. You know, we want to be your, your co-rulers, your viceroys, your regents. We want to have your blessing. We want to, you know, enjoy the glory that you are soon going to have. Now, this should sound familiar, right? Because just a few weeks ago, we heard about the disciples arguing with one another about who was the greatest. And so it, it's kind of curious, right? Why, why is this coming up in the text? Why is Mark talking about this? Why is this a feature of life among the disciples now? Well, because Jesus' ministry, it's obvious to all, is getting closer and closer and closer to this point of no return. Okay, The tension is building. The crowds are gathering. 
The enemies of Jesus are trying to trap him. There's something in the air. Okay, Things are changing. And by this point, Mark 10, this is Mark 11, is, the, is Palm Sunday. Okay, So Mark 10, we are at the end of Jesus' three years, and it's obvious to the disciples that something is about to give. Something is changing. And so he's either going to be revealed as the Messiah of Israel, that's certainly what they're hoping for, and so they want to be on the right or left hand when he's the, you know, he's the king. He's the, he's the Davidic Messiah for the, for the nation, right? Or it's all going to fall apart, which actually Jesus tells them, hey, it's all going to fall apart, right? He tells them, hey, I'm going to be handed over to the, the chief priests and the scribes. They're going to kill me. Don't worry, I'll rage three days later, but they are going to kill me. It's like uh, cognitive dissonance, confirmation bias. Okay, that goes in one ear of the disciples and right out the other. Yeah, 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 they're going to kill you. No big deal. We just want to sit at your right and left hand, though. Okay, so after they kill you, are you listening? Disciples, are you listening to Jesus? And so, as each day of this ministry comes to a close, the disciples are getting more nervous. They're getting more anxious because they realize they need to, uh, you know, put in for a promotion. Right. Hey, you can't you can't be mad at your boss if you don't get promoted, if you don't tell him or her, hey, I'd like to be the VP. So the disciples are going, you know, maybe we need to get to Jesus first. Okay, we need to let him know, hey, we really want to be your viceroys here. We want to be your vice presidents. We want to be at your left and right side. So don't don't worry about the other 10 over there. We're, We're your two guys. Hey, when you come into your power. They're trying to get a head start. It's kind of like when somebody wants to get into politics. You know the best place to start, right? You volunteer for a campaign. Okay, you do the dirty work. You go knock on doors, etc. You work in the office. And then when that person wins office, well, you expect something in return. You expect a job to get your political start, right? And so the disciples, they're, they're like ambitious politicos. Okay? They have power on their mind, and they're telling Jesus, look, we'll... We'll volunteer for the campaign. Okay, but when Israel elects you as Messiah, we, we want to be on your staff. Okay, we want to be bureaucrats in your administration. And you have to wonder just how diabolical their thinking really was because the text tells us that the other ten were really mad at them. This isn't the first time they've had a real dissension in the ranks, a real fight among the disciples over this question of who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. It's embarrassing. And the, the problem seems to be that these two guys, James and John, yeah, I think the same John who wrote the gospel, the real nice guy, right? They are, the other ten are mad because they're saying, oh, you guys want to rule over us? You want to be called rabbi? You want to be called master? That doesn't sit well. And so it leads to this opportunity where Jesus tells his followers that that is not how we are to lead. And there's this sort of strange, (coughs) this sort of strange sounding teaching about, right, where Jesus asked the disciples, hey, can can you drink the cup that I drink from? Can you be baptized with the same baptism I'm baptized with? And that, that sounds a little strange, He's not talking about the rite of baptism, like John the Baptist's baptism or even our own baptism. This is more 
hey, are you willing to suffer in the way that I'm going to suffer? To drink the cup means, you know, you're going to suffer in the same way that I'm going to suffer. To be baptized means you're going through the same trials and tribulations I'm going to go through. So Jesus is, is very smart. He's, he's saying, okay, let's, let's engage in dialogue. You want to be at my right and left? Okay, let's talk about that. Well, before I can answer the question, I need to know, are you willing to suffer in the way that I'm willing to suffer? But the disciples, they didn't know what he was talking about, right? He'd already told them he was going to be crucified, and they're like, yeah, whatever. We just want to be at your right and your left, okay? And so they think that if they answer the, the question correctly, then Jesus will promise them the promotion. This is all about being promoted. Okay, sure, we're willing to suffer. We'll, 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 get, we'll get the same baptism and drink the same cup. Suffering, no big deal, no problem. Just once we're done with the suffering, we want to be at your right and your left. And so they think if they agree to suffer, he'll agree to promote them right there on the spot. But he doesn't. Don't forget that Jesus is very clever, right? So he, he ropes them into the conversation, and he's already warned them, hey, you don't know what you're asking. He straight up tells them to their face, you fools, you don't know what you're asking, right? And he says, and by the way, it's not, it's not even my place to, to grant to you to sit at my right hand or my left. And that's because Jesus is not initiating a political or a militaristic kingdom anytime soon. <clears throat> Indeed, the only people that were to Jesus' right and left, you should see where I'm going with this, right? The only people to Jesus' right and left when any human being who has ever lived is exercising the most authority anyone has ever had were thieves on the cross to his right and to his left. And the disciples weren't really signing up for that. They were in total denial that that was in the, in the future for Jesus. They are expecting a, mess, a Messiah, and Jesus is him. And so Jesus goes on to nail the disciples for their ambition. He compares them to Gentiles. What an insult. It was well known that the Gentiles craved power, and that they rewarded zeal. Right? It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, right? So whatever you got to do to get to the top, you do it. Who was to say that was wrong? Right? I mean, whatever it takes to win. Might makes right. May the strongest survive. But Jesus says the Gentile model is not the model for those who follow Jesus. To be great, you must be a servant. And, and really that's, you know, the, the King James Version uses the word minister, which we associate with, you know, pastors. But the word really is servant. And by the way, when pastors wear such garb, it's servants' clothing, right? It's not, it's not, it's not positions of, of, um, of, of power. It's just the opposite. The more you wear as a pastor, the more of a servant you really are. And so Jesus is saying that naked ambition is a sin, and the exercise of power should be done in the name of serving one another. And so if, if you or anyone dares to run for office, you dare to put yourself in a position of leadership, if you raise money for a campaign, if you dare to make a promise that you would be a servant leader of your fellow citizens and you would put your citizens first, and then you fail to do so out of evil ambition, then you are in direct violation of Jesus' teaching 
and you will be judged by God. If you do not fight for the unborn, if you see government as a body that can ask us to violate our conscience, if you spend money that you don't have, and if you think that you have more authority over my household or my children or my own body than I do, then you are a filthy Gentile who is only in it for the power. And not only will you be judged for your double standards and your love of the finer things in life, but it will be meet and right when you are because you are without excuse. Now, I didn't make that sound so personal because I don't think any of you are running for office anytime soon. So maybe you're off the hook. But shouldn't the church speak to power? That's what we're called to do, right? Speak truth to power. And what a wonderful world we would have. And by this would, this would be true of, of any society. Okay, what Jesus says about exercising power, not as the Gentiles, that would be true in medieval feudalism. It would be true under a monarchy. It would be true in, uh, in any system, not just a constitutional republic where we have the right to vote. If we only listen to Jesus, what a much better world we would have because Jesus tells us how to lead, not by seeing our fellow citizens as subjects, but by being their servant. Can you imagine if every political campaign was a race to the bottom between the two candidates? I don't mean the bottom in terms of their terrible morality. I mean the bottom in terms of their will, being willing to serve, right? Because that's exactly what Jesus tells them that they ought to be doing. Oh, but Christianity, you see, is the evil, racist, patriarchal, superstitious bunch of hogwash that we need to disappear from our society, you know, because of all the harm it does. Hope you can tell I'm being sarcastic. What good news that we have that Jesus himself carried his own cross and he did not seek to establish a kingdom defined by power. But he was crucified for you, and for the sins of the world. Might those ambitious Gentiles who would lead us repent of their evil and trust in Christ and be forgiven if and when they have ever abused their power. And might we repent of anything that would keep us from Christ-honoring leadership in this church or in any other area of our life. For the death of Jesus on the cross was for all of us. And it shows us what grace and leadership look like. Amen.